There is a sweet, sweet spirit here today, and I know that it is the presence of the Lord. Throughout the course of this service, you've heard some of the lessons that will come from Paul's text today. I invite you to find a Bible. You find that um, text printed in your order of worship from chapter 4. We've heard one already, do not go to bed angry at another person. Then we've heard from the choir, make me an instrument of thy peace. It is a beautiful, beautiful lesson and journey we are on. My heart is touched, but for the life of me, I don't know how I should feel about one of our associates bringing a pillow to worship for children's minute, right? Keep an eye on him for me. Thank you, Lucas, for that. From the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, we continue our sermon series about the importance of being united together as the family of God. Listen for the word of the Lord. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing, rather let them labor and work honestly with their hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to everyone who hears. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You'll have to work hard to convince me otherwise, but I believe the 80s were the best decade to spend one's childhood growing up. Yep, you're going to have to work hard to convince me. So much so that you do not know how warmed, strangely warmed my heart has been by the fact that skateboarding and BMX are now Olympic sports. That's so great. It's so great. During that same era, pop culture in America was given two slogans that are part of nearly every household now. Um, they emerged around the same time. The first came from none other than the first lady of the White House, Nancy Reagan. Um, whose anti-drug initiative gave birth to a simple three-word slogan. Do you remember it? Just say, no, that's it. The other came not from the world of politics, but from the sports arena. It has with it an accompanying logo called the swoosh sign, and it was popularized by the likes of Michael Jordan and the Nike company. That slogan says, just do it. Yes, the Nike. So just say no and just do it. Two of the most iconic mantras woven into the fabric of the American culture. If you lay them alongside each other and one was really confused during the 80s. Do I do it or do I not do it, right? What do I do? Last week, I'll remind you that 
Ephesians began making a shift in focus because up to that point, Paul was addressing the need for Jew and Gentile to be reconciled, to be united as a wider part of, of God's people, to maintain unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace through humility and gentleness and patience and through caring for one another. Just do it. Well, the second part of Ephesians, or at least this particular section of Ephesians, it starts to give us practical examples for proper behavior within the family of God. Paul tells the church how they are to treat one another and not to treat one another. It's almost like his letter is a first century campaign to just say no, just do it. <laughs> I know that several of you uh, are reading Ephesians throughout the week and you're using this this series as your own personal devotional guide or, and for your family. Um, many of you have read ahead and been prepared for today's lesson from chapter 4 and the early part of chapter 5. One of you uh, read it several times and you asked me a question earlier this week that I think is quite important. Is that what in the world was going on in Ephesus, Ephesus that made Paul write such pointed um, directives for the early church? Had they messed up uh, so much that he needed to offer the just say no and the just do it campaign from the first century. Well, the answer to that is, is kind of riveting to me actually because by all accounts the church in Ephesus seems to have been quite strong, healthy. Paul wasn't fundraising it like he was uh, the church in Rome or for the church in Rome. It wasn't pluralistic. Uh, it was monotheistic by all accounts, unlike the church in Corinth. They weren't crossed up in terms of polity or theology like the churches were in the region of Galatia. You know, they said you have to become Jewish if you're going to become Christian. And there was a whole mess of things that Paul had to untangle uh, to get to the heart of the matter. At the end of which, if you've had disciple one, you know that it was a sort of a battle between being libertine. I've got my get out of hell free card versus legalistic we have to uh, implore this law more and more and more. So which is it? To which Paul said, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Free for joyful obedience, as we say in our communion language. So what was going on here? Well, the church in Ephesus was different. They seemed to be healthy, doing good things. Paul is endeared to them. But he writes a letter to remind these early Christians that we're all part of God's family, Jew and Gentile alike and that we all have the same mission, that they all share more in common than they do otherwise. But apparently there were some unhealthy habits that were forming, and the church was beginning to show some signs of dividing itself through, from within through some chippy little practices. Some scholars have argued that maybe one group was telling the other group what they had to wear and, and not wear, or what they should eat and not eat, or how they should worship, or when they should worship, or where they should worship. Gentiles believe this and practice that, so they thought maybe the Jews should do as they say, and perhaps the Jews thought to themselves, well, we've been around a, a lot longer, and actually Jesus was one of us, so there is that, but maybe you Gentiles should be better Jews, and there was, there was something beginning to brew there. So Paul intervened. And he intervened because there was too much at stake for God's family to say so crossed up over things that divide. The politics of the day, the religion of the day, the culture wars of the day. 
because such conversations can so easily become idols. Such conversations can cause the church to overlook the vulnerable people in our neighborhoods or feeding a hungry child or mentoring an adolescent. It's hard to practice biblical ethics while squabbling over things that I don't even know will matter all that much in heaven. What does matter to God is the way that we stay in love with God and stay in love with each other and we care for others and we see others through the eyes of Jesus and as Jesus, according to Matthew 25. So Paul intervened to help the people of faith keep the main thing, the main thing we might say. The pagan lifestyle, the old way of seeing one another as enemies and objects, the disdain towards someone who is different, it no longer held water for those who claim to be in God's family. Paul says the old must pass away and the new must be raised to new life. It's an image of resurrection. It's an image of, of baptism. It's the dying and rising again with Christ. It's a daily choice the church has to make because a new creation is forming. If then we believe that Jesus Christ grants us as individuals and families and as a faith community the opportunity to be raised to new life, the new life in Christ is a change. The old is buried. The new is raised. And this section of Ephesians tells us how to do that. It calls to mind a particular um, paragraph that is attributed to Martin Luther, where he writes, this life, therefore, is not godliness, but the process of becoming godly. It's not health, but getting well. It's not being, but becoming. It's not rest, but exercise. We are not now what we shall be, but we are on the way. The process is not yet finished, but is actively going on. This is not the goal, but it is the right road. At present, everything does not gleam and sparkle, but everything is being cleansed. My friends, we find ourselves in a cultural environment where it's easy to lose sight, to lose sight of our purpose, because every headline is scrutinized, every decision is under a microscope or veiled as being this way or that way. Every person we are programmed to believe who doesn't think like us on whatever the issue is, must be our enemy. Faith and science are pitted together rather than being viewed as complementary disciplines. So we need to hear the words of Martin Luther, who reminds us that the life of the believer is not meant to be static or fixed. It's a process through which we allow the Holy Spirit to continue working on our hearts and on our minds to become a new creation, holy, active, and on the pathway to being made clean. We are ever singing, marching onward, victors in the midst of whatever the strife of the day is. But joyful music leads us sunward in the triumph song of life. We just sang about it. So we are ever evolving, ever growing in the knowledge and love of God. We are ever trying to see the world as God sees the world and our neighbors as God sees so that we may show some empathy to one another's and give ourselves a break every now and then. Many of you woke up to the same headline that I did this morning that legendary coach Bobby Bowden passed away. He went on into the church triumphant. I can only imagine the things that are going to be celebrated about his life in the days and weeks ahead and how many stories he changed, how many lives he changed by investing in players and coaches and whole families 
and keeping focus on the right things. I think he might agree with Martin Luther on this one. Coach Bowden once said, I guess I'll retire someday if I live that long. Isn't that a great quote? There's work to be done. There's work to be done on our minds and our hearts and we rest when we stand in the presence of God, I suppose. But my friends, we also need to hear the word of God through St. Paul today speaking into our lives. I hope you picked up on one of those verses. It says, be angry. He gave us permission to be angry. But I think the question, the probing thought behind that is be angry at the right things, not the wrong things. Be angry at that which seeks to divide people from God or people from experiencing God's love. Be angry at oppression. Be angry because hunger exists. Be angry for injustice and equality, but then find ways to build bridges and get involved and be the hands and feet of Christ. That's how we, that's how we serve as the church. Paul also says resist thievery. Must have been a challenge in the first century. I like to think of it, though, in forms that have nothing to do with breaking and entering a car or a home. Resist the type thievery that robs another person from becoming who God created her or him to become. Resist the type thievery, my friends, that robs you of your joy. Resist the temptation to pit someone against someone else. And then he says, let no evil come out of your mouth or from the fingertips of social media. Let nothing come out of your mouth that seeks to divide or tear down another human being, but find ways to build up one another with words of encouragement and compassion, with grace. From the heart of God and through the pen of Paul, he writes, do away with bitterness and wrath and anger and manipulation and slander and malice. Just say no. And then he comes back and says, but be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as you, by God through Jesus Christ, have been forgiven. Just do that. That's what it means to be the church, the body of Christ, to overcome and to rise up from the tombs of negativity and divisiveness. And you may say, well, Jay, how are we supposed to do those things when so many uh, lines and labels influence our lives every single day. I don't always know the answer to the how, but I know why we need to rise up, because we're resurrection people, and we're called and set apart for higher purposes. We're called from, drawn forth from the waters of baptism to be a light in the darkness. We are the people of God. We are First United Methodist Church, and our community and our world need to know that there exists an alternative story that the world is from the, what the world is trying to give us. It's one of negativity and hopelessness and fragmentation and to say that the ways of the world are, are winning the day. I always go to Jesus on this where he says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the whole world. Rise up with hope and with joy and with peace. I hear God's voice saying, we're going to get through this. Whatever the strife is, we will see it through together. So why do we give the world an alternative story is because Jesus said more than anything else, 
Do not be afraid. And then he sent out his disciples, reminding them that God will not give up on them, even to the ends of the earth. How we give the world an alternative story, Paul tells us, speak truth, but in love. Maintain unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Build one another up and do not tear each other down. Resist that which robs you of your joy. Be tender-hearted and forgiving, even as you have been forgiven. That is the formula by which we can change our corner of the world. It is how we will get through however many viral mutations come our way. It is how we will survive whatever comes our way in our denomination. It is how we will continue to discover God's purpose for us. It is how families will be strengthened. It is how our church will remain a signpost that the best is always yet to come. It's how we will rise up above all of the fray and all of the chatter to let the world know that God is not done with people yet. So as we prepare our hearts now to go back out into our mission field, our offices, the arenas of life, back into the chatter, back into the chaos, back into the headlines, back into everything that we're going to face. Listen again for the words of Paul as we claim this alternative story. So then putting away all falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Instead, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands as to share what they can with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to all who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness, all wrath, all anger and wrangling and slander and together with malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as you have been forgiven. Be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and as a sacrifice to God. My friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, as we prepare our hearts now, as we prepare our voices, our minds, our hands, and our feet, our bodies, our emotions, our souls to head back out into the world, we give you thanks for filling us up with good news that Christ has overcome all things. We thank you for the formula by which the world will know that there is an alternative story to hopelessness and chaos. And it's one where you yourself have come into our lives through Jesus Christ and you continue to come through the Holy Spirit. So come Holy Spirit, pour out yourself on all of us now as we go our ways to make a difference in this corner of your world. All honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen.